The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Sarah A. Speed in the Sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person, or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's Reverend Speed. Our passage for today comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. Listen now for what God might be saying to us today. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Zedekiah had said, why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, I am going to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall take it. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. So buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, and got witnesses and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence, I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in earthenware jars, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be bought again in this land. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I am not a very good sports fan. <clears throat> I've always wanted to be. My family loves sports. My sweet husband loves sports. But for whatever reason, the good Lord in all God's glory did not endow me with the spiritual gift of playing or really following sports. 
For example, it's not uncommon for my husband to hear me say 30 minutes into a game, are we cheering for the blue team? <laughs> or even more embarrassingly, are we winning right now? <laughs> and just a few weeks ago, in all honesty, I asked him, when is the intermission? <laughs> to which he patiently responded, do you mean the seventh inning stretch? <clears throat> Yeah, it's not good, y'all. <clears throat> I'm not dumb, but I'm not good at paying attention to the game in front of me. Sports are just not my spiritual gift. But the thing I love about sports fans is how hopeful they are year after year. A few weeks ago, our wonderful FIA group, the Fifth Avenue Young Adults, went to a Mets game together. And while I was in line to get a hot dog, because that's what I do at sports events, <clears throat> the Mets made a very impressive run or score or something. <laughs> I couldn't see it, but from where I was standing in line, I knew that it was a good moment because the fans around me went wild. In particular, there was one guy in line with me who pulled off his baseball cap, tossed it up in the air, and screamed to the strangers around him in the crowd, this year's gonna be different. <laughs> and everyone around him went wild. I loved it. It felt like an audacious and maybe even ridiculous claim to make that early in the season that this year could be different. But that's what I love about sports fans. Fans have an audacious hope. No matter their team's track record, their stats, or how many games they lost last year, fans are always holding on to the hope that this year could be the year, that this year could be different. There's something about that that feels holy. For you see, we live in a world that so often paints faith as hope, as foolish. But when you believe in something, when you believe in someone, you don't just give up on hope, even when it's foolish. Today's scripture passage from Jeremiah is a story with some foolish hope. It's one of those hidden gems in the Bible that you may have read before, but we don't preach on it often, and I find it to be a fascinating story. So let's dive in. The text for today starts with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a young prophet who had been tasked with warning the people about their general downfall. The Israelites had forgotten who they were and who they belonged to, and as a result, Jer Jeremiah reminds them, warns them, that they will not be able to stand on their own. Now, it's no surprise that the king at the time did not appreciate Jeremiah's doomsday broadcast. So after a while, King Zedekiah, the king of Judah, throws Jeremiah in jail. Why is it that our human instinct is to silence the voices we don't like? 
So it's here, in jail, that our story begins. Jeremiah is behind bars, and just as he predicted, Israel is falling. The Babylonians, the strongest foreign army in the land, are knocking at the city's gates, threatening to demolish Jerusalem. And somewhere in that chaotic fear, Jeremiah has a vision from God. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, your cousin, Hanamel, is going to come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right to it is yours. So buy it for yourself. Now, like a good average millennial, I have never purchased a plot of land or owned my own home. So I'm not really an expert in real estate. <clears throat> But I'm pretty sure that if I was going to take the leap of faith to buy my first plot of land, I wouldn't buy it in a war zone. Here's why. Did you know that in biblical times when one nation was trying to overtake the other, they would surround the city and choke off any and all resources that the city had? And once the city was weak, once the people were hungry and thirsty, the enemy army would forcefully enter the city. They would burn down what they could, and they would take the people captive, and they would march them off into the horizon away from their homeland. But that's not all. As the soldiers departed, it was common to salt the fields around the city so that if anyone was spared, if anyone was left behind, there would be no hope of life there anymore. Nothing can grow from a salted field. So I may be a millennial who's never bought a piece of land, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to buy that. So then we have to ask ourselves, why? Why does God tell Jeremiah to buy his cousin's field? Why does God say, Jeremiah, your cousin is going to come to you today and say, buy my field for the right to it is yours. I'm fleeing the city. I'm not coming back. Buy it for yourself. And then why does Jeremiah weigh out 17 shekels of silver right there in his jail cell? Why does he sign the deed to the land with the jail guards watching? Why does he copy the deed and place it in clay jars for safekeeping? Why doesn't Jeremiah say, no thanks, cousin. If you hadn't noticed, I'm in jail right now and a foreign army is circling the city gates. Now doesn't really seem like a good time for real estate. Friends, if I understand the text, I think God instructs Jeremiah to buy that broken land so that Jeremiah could publicly remind those around him, his cousin, the jail guards, the scribe, the witnesses, 
that God has not abandoned them. There is still reason to hope. For even when the city is burning, even when the Babylonians are at the gate, God says to Jeremiah, this is not the end. Gardens will grow here. The people need to know that. So I think Jeremiah purchases that plot of land as a way to remind the crowd that our God is a restoring God. God is not done with us yet. And I am sure that the jail guards probably thought Jeremiah had lost his mind. But hope often looks foolish. And it doesn't mean we stop hoping. God said to Jeremiah, take these deeds and put them in clay jars in order that they may last for a long time. For houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. And Jeremiah does exactly as God says. It's a public act of hope. It's radical and foolish, and I think it is exactly what the world needs. My dad's younger brother, my uncle Gene, lives in Nacogdoches, Louisiana the city where they filmed Sweet Magnolias. My Uncle Gene is wonderful. He can remember your birthday and recite it on command. He would eat vanilla wafers for every meal of every day if he could. And he will always refer to you by your relationship, not your name. So I am niece, not Sarah. Because to Uncle Gene, the relationship is what is important. My Uncle Gene was also born with cerebral palsy, which means that he loves big, but he will never learn how to read or write. He will never leave his group home in Nacogdoches, and he will never learn how to drive. Of all of the many challenges that come with cerebral palsy, I think being unable to drive might be the hardest for Uncle Gene. You see, my uncle has always had a dream of driving a car, preferably a red car. Sometimes his dream is to drive a van so that he can crowd all his buddies from the group home in and they can go on a road trip, but Usually, he just wants to drive a car so that he can go see family. I was reminded of this dream recently while reading my dad's book, Joy Even on Your Worst Days. In that book, my dad tells a story that, about a conversation he had with Jean. Every time the two of them talk, Jean will say, brother, wouldn't it be great if I could drive to go see mom, show up at her nursing home and surprise her? Wouldn't she love that? And my dad will say, she'd love that, Jean. 
Then Jean will say, and then I'll drive to go see Dad, so don't tell him I want it to be a surprise. And my dad will say, I promise, brother, I won't say a thing. And then Jean will say, and when I stop to get gas, I'm going to get a Coca-Cola. <clears throat> and my dad will say, I think that sounds like a good idea, Jean. They have this conversation back and forth all the time. So much so that my dad says it feels like liturgy out of the prayer book. But a few years ago, the conversation shifted. My dad went down to Nacogdoches to visit Jean, and while they were out to eat, enjoying some burgers and fries, this age-old conversation about the red car came up again. My dad knew what to expect because they'd had this talk a hundred times. But after the normal back and forth, Jean put down his hamburger, looked my dad in the eye, and said something my dad didn't expect. Jean said, brother, do you think I will ever drive that car? I don't think my uncle was asking my dad, do you think one day my cerebral palsy will go away? I don't think he has ever had any reason to believe that that could happen or that he might actually get a driver's license. I think he was asking my dad, is it foolish to hope? My dad put down his burger and looked Jean in the eye and said, you know, Jean, I do think one day you'll drive that car. Now, my dad wasn't promising a magic fix or a miracle pill. He wasn't promising Jean that things would get better immediately. I think my dad was just trying to tell his younger brother, it's not foolish to hope, it's holy. Believing that God can restore the broken parts of our world does not mean that restoration will happen in the timeline or in the way that we want. But believing that our God is a restorative God does give us license to hope. For if gardens and vineyards can grow in a field that has been salted, if people can return home after the exile, if Jerusalem can be rebuilt after it's been burned, then surely our God is a God who restores. And if we believe that, then why wouldn't we say year after year, this year could be different? Hope doesn't guarantee change, but it does remind us that God is not done with us yet. Do you think I'll ever drive that car? He asked. I hope so, Uncle Gene. I hope so. Friends, we live in a world that will often say hope is naive, that change will not come, that the worst parts of our society are never going to shift. And I'll admit, 
Sometimes I am tempted to believe that narrative. I look at the impossibly slow pace of racial justice progress in our world. I look at politicians who will no longer even entertain conversation across party lines. I look at the vitriol on the internet. I look at my calendar and remember that 21 years ago today, people were running from burning buildings just four miles south of us. All of these things make me wonder, is it foolish to hope? Will our world ever be a more loving place? But then, in the back of my mind, I hear God say to Jeremiah, buy that plot of land, Jeremiah, because what looks like destruction right now will one day be a garden. And I believe that God can continue to bring new life to the broken parts of our world. So if you were to ask, will gardens grow after the exile? Will Gene ever drive that car? Will change ever come? I'd say yes. I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I do believe that our God is a restoring God, and God is not done with us yet. So may we hold on to hope so much so that people say we're foolish. And may we continue to believe deep in our gut that this year could be different. Our God is a restoring God. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Amen. Family of faith, hope doesn't guarantee change, but it does remind us that God is not done with us yet. And the world could use some of those reminders. So may we be foolishly hopeful. Like a good sports fan, may we say year after year, this year could be different. And may that hope change us. Now, as you leave this place, may you love as if love is not a scarcity. May you hope like there is a better tomorrow. May you live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may you trust that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, in the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go now in peace. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.